Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast. This is the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. If you want to know more about specific stocks I like, go to focuscompounding.com, where you can read stock ideas written up by me and other members. Membership costs $60 a month, but if you use the promo code podcast, it'll be $50 a month for you. Andrew and I also manage accounts for investors. To learn more about our managed accounts, email Andrew at info at focuscompounding.com or text or call Andrew at 469-207-5844. That's 469-207-5844. And now here's Andrew with your regularly scheduled podcast. All right, we are back. How is everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding Podcast. Mr. Jeff Gannon, how's it going over there? It's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It is going great. Hope it's going great for everybody else. want to thank everybody for tuning in. And if you've given us a rating and review, that makes us happy. And yeah. we definitely thank you for that. If you want to give us a rating and review, feel free to go to the podcast app on your probably where you're listening to this. I mm-hmm. mean, we're on probably, iTunes and yeah. Podbean. And give us a rating and review. That definitely helps spread the word. And uh, Jeff and I would be greatly appreciative of that. So today we're going to be talking about, so we always talk about um, if they want to join your memo list right. to go to the website and type in their email. Yes. And if you remember, you get a premium memo, which is obviously a paid memo, which right. of a watch research, list. You know, yeah. watch list that you um, update every single week of stocks that you're currently researching and you right. sort of batting order from there. Yeah. Um, but there's a free part of the site where you do an investing topic. And I think it'd right. be a good idea to sort of just chat about it, use an episode because maybe not a lot of people... Um, know about it. There's a lot more people that listen to our podcast and are subscribed to the email list. Yeah. Uh, so that could be a good way. And to it's do. free. And it's so, for free. Yeah. We know a lot of people aren't going to sign up for a paid thing, but yeah. you can get this free thing. You listen to a free podcast, you can get a free email each week, a written thing. It's one page. Yeah. 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 It's always one page. So um, a couple of weeks ago, and I'm just going to go, we'll go over a couple of different ones and maybe we could just chat about them. Mm-hmm. A couple of weeks ago, you sent out a memo, what are super investors good for? Right. And I think we got a question from that on Twitter that we also talked about in an episode too. Yeah. Like because cloning. Memo. Yeah. yeah. Because mm-hmm. uh, about like cloning investors and whatnot. So what do you, yeah. what are super investors good for? Uh, I think they're good for getting ideas from mm-hmm. them. And so when we're talking about super investors, we're talking about things like Guru Focus and places like that where you can go and see all the, the stocks that they own, you know, their portfolios. And I get a lot of questions about things from people's portfolios, from their 13Fs and things like that. I get a lot of emails saying, well, look at this in their uh, holdings. What do you think about this? Stuff like that. Um, and I think we talked a little bit about how uh, maybe the, the biggest position that they have isn't the best because that might be the one that's gone up the most in value. Yeah. So often the thing that they bought the most of when they bought um, is good and more like a, um, looking at it at the price that they bought at and seeing if you can buy at a similar price to what they originally bought at, not that you can follow them in at a later higher price, obviously. Mm-hmm. So they're good for getting ideas for um, stocks. I also think they're getting, they're good for getting ideas for industries, sometimes picking a peer of a stock that they, they pick, um, sometimes a smaller one because they tend to be bigger investors sure. and want to buy yeah. you know, bigger stocks than you might be able to. But if you suddenly see that they're buying railroads and that, you know, that Buffett is buying railroads and then he loves railroads or, or airlines when he did that, um, that can tip you off on those are things that you should really study up on. There's something about it. There. Yeah. And Guy Spear and actually uh, Monish Pabrai, they I think they both kind of do that whenever mm-hmm. they find like a big company someone's interested in, they'll like look overseas to see if they can find a pretty comparable company right. because there may be you know, cheaper than, for example, United States, or if it's a smaller company and maybe more um, mispriced than a bigger company, yeah. but they just take like a good comparable to it. But that's just like a good starting place. Yeah. I'll do that right now and say that Buffett bought, um, he did a private deal to buy Vantol, an auto company, an auto uh, dealership company in the U.S. Uh, we had a write up on the website about um, 
car dealerships in the UK. And I uh, talked about one of them in the UK. But I think that would be a great example. If you're listening to this and you saw that Buffett bought uh, car dealerships and you're looking at them in the US, there are actually a lot of them that are cheaper in the UK. And uh, it would be a good idea to at least compare them. There might be reasons why you like them better in the US, but you're going to pay more to buy them in the US. Mm -hmm. So definitely look in the UK. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you ever have you ever bought a stock because a, a guru or a super investor um, has has purchased the stock? That's a very good question. Like, what if you look at it? What if you see okay that they own it at fifty and now it's at like forty or thirty? Because you I just swear, talked about like yeah. it, the biggest stock maybe has gone up the most. But like, what about in other situations when it's not like that? Yeah. Like, do you think it's a good way to filter and look for ideas? Yes, I have looked for ideas. I can think of immediately think of some ideas that I took. Um, I put an idea that they had right onto a watch list I was looking at. So Buffett personally bought, and eventually his company would give a loan to Seridge, but he personally bought Seridge, and when he did, I looked at it. So Seridge was a spinoff from Sears, Sears and Out. Yeah, because you don't really uh, hear about him purchasing in his personal account right, too much at all. Right, but he did. Yeah, he's bought REITs and things like that in his personal account. He bought um, J.P. Morgan in his personal account long before he bought it for Berkshire. Um, which is many years later. So it's usually something that he thinks doesn't conflict with other stuff. And mostly I noticed that he had done it years and years ago with REITs. He seemed to be buying REITs. Um, and uh, and Seridge uh, fits into that sort of category. Um, so that was one that I, I saw. Um, there was one with uh, Alan Meckham where he had bought um, a business that I looked at that business, but then I also looked harder and actually wrote up um, some companies in the same industry, but not that business. What company was that? Uh, it was D now. Uh, is the, the, the ticker? The yeah. T yeah. So um, it's a distribution. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a spinoff. An oil company. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, and then, um, so like, for example, like getting back to it, if, if the stock is lower, do you think that's a good place for people to? Yeah. I mean, Monish Pabrai always talks about that, how he's like, I'm a one-man shop, but he utilizes all these like these filings that, of these hedge funds that have a team of analysts or whatever, and he just kind of like sifts through them. Yeah, and that's a great way of doing it. Do you think, yeah. though, I mean, in the one of the question um, Q&A podcasts that we did, though, like how uh, sometimes like confirmation bias can become like a thing. Yes. You kind of have to obviously probably guard against that. Yeah. I mean, I think I have that issue. I'm going to have that less than most people I talk to. A lot of people yeah. seem to be really interested in it. And if it goes badly or something, they sort of blame the um, uh, investor who they found the idea from. Yeah, sure. You know, uh, I, I don't. I guess put a lot of um, faith in other investors that way. Even if something like you know, um, I, just because Buffett was selling some stock doesn't mean that I wouldn't consider buying that stock. Yeah. And or, you got to remember you know. too, like sometimes people sell stuff because just portfolio constraints or like redemptions, right. or it could be nothing to do with the actual business, or because they. They may not disregard that business or like not like it, but they just found something else that they happen right. to like more. And yeah. there are things that uh, I can think of examples of things Buffett bought, liked, held for a while, sold, and they did fine since he sold them. I'm yeah. thinking right away of General Dynamics in the 1990s. Uh, he made money on it and stuff, but he if he had held it through to today, he would have done well. Um, he would have done well if he had held on to Disney and not gotten rid of his Disney stock when uh, Capital Cities and Disney merged yeah. and things like that. Or, you know. Um, or if you follow the Disney IBM. Stock. <laughs> the other way around, right? Yeah. So, um, but I mean, I think it's an inter I think that's always an interesting thing, especially someone like Buffett is a really good example, but there are others who don't own a huge number of stocks. Yeah. And so they focus particularly on one industry or something like that at, at a moment. 
and that can really tip you off to it. Um, but also you can get ideas from bloggers and things like that. I've probably gotten as many ideas from bloggers as I had from super investors. Um, I had read some people talking about Japan before I invested in net nets in Japan. Um, and in some cases, I think some people wrote about it and stuff, and I ended up putting more of my money into it than they ever did. But they gave me the idea for it, basically, sure. of that country at that time to really look into it and some sort of hints of what was available. Yeah. yeah. And if you do um, become a member, there is a, a, a list of all these on the of past memos on the of website. Past memos, yeah. So if mm-hmm. you do want to read those. And like I said, it's just one page. Um, you know, a lot of people like I tweet it out every single week. Mm-hmm. And if you do sign up uh, for free, it'll be in your email box. Yeah. Uh, so the next one you talked about was value matters, but book okay. value doesn't. Yeah. And cool. this was after we talked about Warren Buffett's, or is before or after we talked about Warren Buffett's shareholder letter. Right. Which is, I'm sure, where this idea came from for this memo. Yeah, probably, yep. Um, so thoughts on it? Value matters, but book value doesn't. Yeah, this is one that I've talked, like I consider myself a value investor and a lot of things we talk about here are value investing related. But a lot of times when academics talk about value investing, they're talking about price to book. That's actually how a lot of indexes and things like that are formed of uh, like, and style boxes and things like that that you see for um, judging what a fund uh, is, like if it's a value fund or something, is in part based on um, the things like how high the price to book is of the things that they own. Um, now it so happens that some things we own in the manager accounts have low price to book, but many don't. And some of the ones that don't have low price to book, I actually think are very cheap versus their appraisal value. Mm -hmm. And so I gave some examples in there. I gave an example of, um, land that has been on the books for a hundred years. Well, you can buy it at a 50% discount to what it's worth and yet still be paying three, four times book value. Mm-hmm. So is it uh, not a value stock because it's three or four times book value, or is it a value stock because it's half the price of what people are buying the acres next to it for, you know? Um, so value means paying less than what it's actually worth um, than your appraisal of it, whereas book value is an accounting thing, which sometimes gives you an idea of what it's worth, but sometimes has nothing to do with that. I mean, back in the day, it was probably more prevalent because of, like, the types of companies that are around, right? Yeah, and it is still a very good way of valuing things like um, cash, current assets like receivables, things like that. Yeah. Anything that was put in the business very recently. Um, so if something goes public, raises a bunch of cash and puts on the balance sheet, well, the book value is going to be 100% accurate in that case. Um, but it's going to become less accurate as they um, buy uh, land to build a factory on it and then they start producing things on it. And then 10 years later, well, a lot of times that won't be you know um, worth what it says on the books. I can think of cases where companies that shut down a factory had to pay to have equipment moved away. They didn't get paid for it Mm -hmm. um, because it was so not valuable at that time. Whereas in other cases, you can have inventory and things that are worth quite a lot. Um, There are cases of companies involved in like um, certain precious uh, metals and things like that, but also diamonds, diamond inventory. I can think of things where there's steel inventory where it was probably worth actually more than the company was carrying on the books for. Whereas most companies, the inventory is worth... um, quite a lot less if they can't sell it in their normal sort of way of doing sure. it. Yeah. Why do you think Buffett spent so much time talking about that in his letter? Uh, well, because he's going to buy back stock, I think. Yeah. And because I think that um, it's not he's going to buy it back above book value. Okay. Yeah. So I think that's the biggest reason. So if you buy back, um, there's actually a, I, I talked about it with someone, there was a pretty good article about all the companies uh, that exist today that have negative book value. Mm-hmm. And I've actually invested in companies with negative book value, so which would seem to be the ultimate, um, not a value stock. But I, I, for instance, owned a pretty big, had a pretty big part of my portfolio in a company, IMS Health. The public company, IMS Health, today is a little different than this one. 
but um, this one was back in um, very early 2009, and uh, it had negative book value at the time. And that's because it produced a lot of free cash flow, which it used to buy back its own stock. Um, and it had borrowed some money, um, and it used that money to buy back stock. Uh, but it used it to buy back stock way above book value. And so when you do that, you reduce your um, book value as you buy back. Mm -hmm. um, if you pay above book value and you buy back stock, then you'll reduce your book value over time. And if you do the reverse and you buy back under book value, it'll grow. So, uh, but it was a very good company and it probably had a free cash flow yield over 10% and, you know, it grew a little bit each year is basically a, um, you know, just a database of information and things like that. And, um, it's a, it, it would be a bargain at probably twice or probably twice the price they paid. It would be worth in terms of like, if you were adjusting the book value, uh, if you were adjusting the fair value of the company. The, they were buying back the stock at probably half of what it was really worth in terms of its cash flows and things like that. And yet they were causing the company to have negative book value. Mm -hmm. And that happens. I think Buffett, when he bought into Gillette, and Gillette momentarily had negative book value. It took on some debt and um, it ended up with negative book value. Yeah. So, But, you know, Gillette isn't based on the factories that it has and things like that. It's based on the brand name and sure. things like that, which have no presence on the books. Yeah, which is kind of a lot like the companies we see today. Yeah. I mean, if they're built internally. Not, yeah. Yeah. So if you have something like Apple, which grew all of this brand and technology and stuff internally, yes. Now, if someone goes and buys another company, then they put on the book all this these intangibles, mm -hmm. and that's different. But yeah, if anything that's created brand names and things like that yourself through your advertising, you've already expensed that. You expense that advertising each and every sure. year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, next one, expanding your circle of competence into other countries. And this is one I mm -hmm. think is interesting because on the watch list that you send out, you do have a spot for I think overseas, don't yep. you? Or overseas yep, there's companies. three parts. There's uh, domestic, there's foreign companies, and then there's uh, companies I'm going to revisit that I've already mentioned before. You Are know? you making a market call when you're going to, <laughs> to other countries? Yeah. So, um, no, I mean, I'm looking at other countries, but in part, that is true that it means that I'm having trouble finding things in the U.S. Yeah. I've said before in the letter to clients then the manager accounts that ideally I would love to be 50% US 50% the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. Um that's still a pretty big focus in the US. Sure. It's half of the uh portfolio. The US is in half of the world's economy, but um but I'm more, you know, know more about things in the US and stuff like that. Um but it's something I have not gotten anywhere near to and would like to get closer to having 50% in other countries. Um I think that thing is, especially right now, but it has been happening a lot during the time that I've been investing, um, stocks in the U.S. have been more expensive than stocks in some other countries. And so there's the opportunity to look in other countries and to maybe find comparable merchandise at a lower price, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what you're always trying to do. You're trying to find that um, the one peer among in an industry or something that looks yeah. cheaper than all the others. So, uh, yeah. So I know that recently I mentioned... An elevator company in Japan is on that watch list, and it's much cheaper than elevator companies in other parts of the world. Um, there's car dealers in the UK on that list, and they're much cheaper than car dealers in the US. And those are just generally industries that are pretty good. Uh, I think it's not a bad asset to own a stock in an elevator company for the long term. It's not a bad asset to own stock in a car dealer for the long term. Mm -hmm. You know, It's not like these are steel companies or something. It's not that I'm picking particular industries for the short term. These are assets which would be desirable long term. We just had a write-up on the website about a company um, involved in public relations, which is basically related to advertising type yeah. stuff, same sort of industry, in uh, Japan. And that kind of firm in the U.S. can sometimes be a lot more expensive of a public relations company in the mm -hmm. U.S. 
So uh, it's just historically those have been good industries. If you look, the returns that you get in things like um, advertising, marketing type companies, um, car dealers, uh, elevator companies, all those things tend to have good returns as industries in all sorts of different countries. And so if you're finding them really expensive in your home country, why not look at other countries to see if there might be a cheaper example there? What kind of companies does Buffett own in other countries? Uh, well, one of the big ones is Iskar. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Which makes like sort of um, cutting tools, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah. He's predominantly the United States, though. Yeah. For sure. He has at times owned some stocks in other parts of the world. Um, let's see. They owned... They had an investment in POSCO at one time, which is a South Korean um, steel company. Um, that was an unusual investment for them. Uh, he had bought Diageo, um, which his biggest brand was a... Um, at the time he bought it, at least his biggest brand would have been a, a, a Irish beer. Um, so, you know, there there are some investments they've made in other parts of the world. Not very big. Uh, they have made investments. I'm excluding insurers. He's made some pretty yeah. good investments in insurers that are pretty global. But, yeah. What country was it where I remember he said he uh, he bought, like, a, an accounting book for that Korea. country? It was Korea. Okay, that's yeah. what I thought it was. Yeah, yeah. he bought, like, 20 Korean companies. Well, it would, that was just more of, like, a... Like, net-net type things. Yeah. yeah. And he pointed Might them out what uh, he Japan, bought. Japan, the net-nets. Yeah. yeah. They were very cheap in Korea. It was after the Asian crisis there that they had, um, financial crisis. So he did that in his personal account. Yeah. Yeah. Um, said it brought him back to the early days. Yeah. So, and he looked at some things and he didn't want to, you know, he had some concerns that he didn't understand. Uh, if he didn't understand the accounting or wouldn't know if there were frauds or things like that. So he wanted to diversify over, like, I think he said 20 or something things. Yeah. Um, yeah. But some of the examples he gave were things selling at like one times earnings and stuff. Yeah. Korea as a country tends to be pretty cheap compared to some of the others. Um, uh, yeah. So, you know, that's a good example. Uh, Japan, I think everyone should look at Japan. I think that it, the small companies there and, and those sorts of things. And uh, we'll have posts. I think each month now we're going to have a uh, – in fact, I know each month now we're going to have a Japanese stock right now. Is that's for free? Yeah. Yeah. That will be available for free. Uh, well, if you're on the memo list, you'll see it. Yeah. So we should point that out. Uh if you're on the memo list, what happens is we send you the memo, and at the top of the memo, I put a link to uh, whatever content you have access to that uh, week, so that I need that link, so that people, you know, uh, so people know that there's new stuff to yeah. to uh, read because otherwise, you know, you wouldn't know. So uh, yeah, and I, th- you know, I forget if it was last week or the week before when you're hearing this um, was uh, about a, a Japanese stock, and it was the first of what we'll have monthly. Yeah, up there. Um, which is something I wanted to add to the site for a while to have more coverage of those sorts of things. And I think Japan's a good example there. But it was a high-quality company. I'd like to add more of those sorts of things because it does seem like people writing about Japan only write about, like, net nets. Yeah. You know, that seems to be the thing. Yeah. Okay, next one. How do prejudge a stock? Okay. So th- that is a question I get a lot from people is, like, do you really just sit down and read all about um, – like read the entire 10k without having any sort of uh, knowing where the price is and knowing any sort yeah. of the the um, past financials and things like that. Um, the biggest things about prejudging a stock would be like the industry. So knowing like what industry it's in and if you've looked at things like it before, that's the most helpful thing. It's really hard to analyze a stock that has no connection to any stocks you've researched in the past. 
So, uh, like when we gave, we were just talking about the countries thing. It, it's really good to analyze an elevator company in Japan if you've analyzed one that's European or U.S. or something in the past. Or car dealers in the U.S. that makes it so easy to analyze them in the U.K. So those are really easy that way. Um, I would, say, and th- and that's what I do a lot of. I mean, I, I wrote uh, about a company, um, and will write more about a company, Front Door, which was a spinoff in the last year. And a lot of that is because I had researched a company called HomeServe, which is a UK-based company. And so that's a big part of it is knowing the stocks that you've looked at in the past um, to be able to get some guesses about uh, the quality of the business, how the business works. Um, I've talked a lot about like um, sort of the Michael Porter approach to like competition and things like that about breaking down the competitive factors about mm-hmm. relationships with uh, and bargaining power with customers and with employees and things like that. Um, actually, that's uh, a good example of that recently is Buffett talking about how craft is not worth what it was before because of them having less bargaining power with um, companies like Costco and Walmart. And that's a really good example of understanding those sorts of bargaining power. Usually you can make some guesses about bargaining power stuff right away just by knowing a little bit about the product and about the industry that it's in. Mm-hmm. So those are things that I use right away to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And do you get to, so when people reach out to you, what do they sort of ask about this? other than like, do you really spend so much time on it? Like, do they just say like, how do you sift through it so quickly to move on to the next stock? Or are you trying to disqualify it? Or what do you think? Yeah. Um, I think they're surprised by how much I just sit down and read the whole thing about the company. Yeah. But once I've made the decision to study this particular company, that is true. I just read the, investor presentation and the annual report and the you know in a, for a lot of stocks you could learn a lot about at. a business from a their their investor presentation i always yeah. think it's a good place to start yeah and for a lot of the stocks we're looking at which are um for the manager council to overlook stocks a lot of times that is just reading an sec filing or in some cases they're actually a dark company so they don't even have an sec filing but less likely to be investor presentations and things like that but even then you can find an investor presentation of someone in the same industry often yeah. So that's a good place to start. I always say that to people that they should – one thing people don't do is like study three or four of the same kinds of companies at the exact same time, which is really useful to do. So don't just try to figure out – like you've never looked at a car dealer before, but you're going to try to value this one. Get a list of the five biggest public yeah. uh, car dealers in the Compare U.S. Them, yeah. You learn so much Comparing from doing that trust, too. Yeah, that, that's yeah. really the key, yeah. Yeah. And even if you, you know, talk about judging, even if you just learn, you move on, well, you just mm-hmm. learn so much about it, which is yeah. only going to help you in the future. Yeah. So it's, I think people try too much to study one stock in isolation instead of looking at the industry. And you could very quickly see which is the, I mean, from yeah. my experience, if you mm-hmm. read about like three or four of like the competitors, you could tell which one's the best in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. And you can see the differences in their strategy when they talk yeah. about that and things like that. Yeah. yeah. And then there's also things you could even take it forward. Like it, it, for me, it helps like propose questions like why are these other companies spending so much on marketing, but this company is not as right. re- in re- relation to their revenue. Right. Yeah. I mean, cars.com, mm-hmm. that kind of cars. Com yeah. is a great example of that where we're like, look at how much these other companies are spending on their uh, marketing compared to their revenue and stuff. And you know, that was a point of, concern there is how much they would spend and whether that would increase competition yeah yeah cool so if you do want to get access to all of these Mm -hmm. jeff does send it out go to focuscompound.com and on the home page you'll see a place to enter in your email and that'll put you on our email list we don't send you anything else other than uh, a free memo and um, you'll have that in your inbox every single week it's just one page long like we talked about and it's just always on investing topic and it's 
a lot of people really like it. So yeah, and that's free. You don't enter in any, you don't create usernames, you don't do anything. You just yeah. give us your email. And if you do want the premium memo, that comes if right. you're a premium member. Which and that's you, when you create a username yeah. and password, you get access to the whole site, the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. So if you do want to get access to those two reports, go to focuscompounding.com. Um, you can either enter in your email or if you become a, uh, a member, you get both. Yeah. And if you become a member, uh, use the podcast promo code, which I think we mention all the time on this podcast, yeah. but it's podcast and that'll save you $10 a month. That will save you $10 per month. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with us. Have a great week. Make it a good one. We'll see you in the next one. Hey, this is Jeff Gannon and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. If you want to know more about specific stocks I like, go to focuscompounding.com where you can read stock ideas written by me and other members. Membership costs $60 a month, but if you use the promo code podcast, it'll be $50 a month for you. Andrew and I also manage accounts for investors. To learn more about our managed accounts, email Andrew at info at focuscompounding.com or text or call Andrew at 469-207-5844. That's 469-207-5844. Thanks for listening.